Fed announced a three-quarter point rate increase this week, its biggest since 1994. Equities markets dropped everywhere. On an annualized basis, the producer price index rose 10.8% in May, down from 10.9% in April. Mortgage rates hit 5.78%, their highest since 2008. And Bitcoin bottomed out just above $20,000, having started the week at $28,000. In this edition of Commerce Code, super apps and mobile wallets, do they have a future? A conversation from the archive with Aaron Warren of Rakuten and a look at where we stand. Dan Carell here, and this is Commerce Code, brought to you by DCA, the Digital Commerce Alliance. Thanks for joining us for insights into the evolving world of digital commerce. The University of Michigan's survey of consumer sentiment dropped to its lowest point on record. As reported by the university, 46% of consumers attributed their negative views to inflation, up from 38% in May. This share has only been exceeded once since 1981 during the Great Recession of 2008-2009. Overall, gas prices weighed heavily on consumers, which is no surprise given the 65 cent increase in national gas prices from last month, according to AAA. Half of all consumers spontaneously mentioned gas during their interviews, compared with only 30% in May and 13% one year ago. In spite of the gloom, Bank of America CFO Alastair Borthwick said at a Morgan Stanley conference this week that consumers are, quote, still spending pretty robustly. According to Bloomberg, he also said that he does not see the U.S. entering a recession soon. Similarly, Marco Kalanovic, a leading J.P. Morgan market strategist, said this week that he didn't see the U.S. entering a recession, and in fact, he expects equity markets to recover. Borthwick and Kalanovic are in the minority among experts, but their optimism isn't unfounded. Travelers are out and consumers are active. In the U.S., the TSA reports daily air traveler numbers. In the first 15 days of June, TSA cleared 33 million people to fly. Compare that to 27 million people in 2021, and not too far off the 38 million travelers TSA cleared in the same period in pre-pandemic 2019. Today, I want to shift from the big economic picture dominating the news to an important issue on the digital side of digital commerce, the present and future of super apps. To do that, I wanted to pull out an interview with Aaron Warren of Rakuten that took place about a year ago, and then I want to reflect on where we stand on mobile wallets and super apps. For context, in this segment, Silvio Tavares and Aaron mention a couple of super apps. One of them is Pinduoduo, and the other is Alibaba. I think Alibaba is pretty well known. Its very famous owner, Jack Ma, created an online retail juggernaut that now has about $120 billion in annual revenues. For reference, Amazon's 2021 revenues were around $460 billion. Pinduoduo may have a little less name recognition in the West. It started as a platform on which Chinese farmers could sell their produce to consumers, but evolved well beyond that, and at least by some measures, contended with Alibaba as one of the top Chinese marketplaces. The thing to know about Pinduoduo is that its business model is centered on group discount-style offers that are clever and apparently quite successful. Here's what Silvio and Aaron had to say. (laughs) 
Rakuten can easily be called one of the most successful super apps in Japan, which after all is the third largest economy in the world. In Japan, Rakuten is an e-commerce company that operates one of the largest e-commerce sites. The company is also one of the top credit card issuers, owns a leading messaging app, Viber, owns one of the largest mobile phone networks, and is a leading online bookseller, not to mention one of the largest loyalty companies in the country. In short, it is a super app. In the US, however, Rakuten has focused on enabling super apps by bringing to market the most important active ingredient, merchant offers. We speak with Aaron Warren, the general manager of the Rakuten card-linked offer network, and we discuss super apps and the central role that offers play in this rapidly expanding sector of digital commerce. Aaron, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Silvio. Good morning to you. Now, as we look around the world, and particularly in Asia, where Rakuten is headquartered, there's this rise in these basically super apps, right? They have the ability to do card-linked offers, personal financial management, you name it, it's in that big super app. But a big part of it is the card-linked offers. Is Rakuten open to other partnerships with other mobile wallets or high-engagement super apps? Yeah, so absolutely. On the Rakuten side, we're really trying to build an ecosystem, a network that links merchants with consumers using card-linked offers and provides those merchant offers in a way that is compelling and ties to that purchase process that the consumer makes every time they use either a mobile wallet or transact with a bank or through a, a rewards loyalty program. For us, for Rakuten, our business interests are all about, let's do what's right for the merchant, right? That's what Rakuten's history and legacy is. And so I would define good distribution partners as being anyone that's got a consumer app or experience where asking for someone's credit card feels like a natural part of that consumer experience. And I think so mobile wallets end up being a great fit for that. And I think card-linked offers then help drive more value for the consumers within that mobile wallet experience. And so what we're really looking for is other partners who share that type of experience where they can very comfortably ask a consumer for their credit card and then provide real value back to that consumer. That makes a lot of sense. And I really attach to your point about making it, you know, merchant first. So if you can create value for those merchants, then really everything else follows. Now, looking a little bit more in detail at the publisher platform experience or the mobile app experience, it, it does really seem like card-linked offers have reached a turning point because not only do most of the largest banks in the U.S. and around the world have card-linked offer programs, but now the majority of the leading mobile wallets also have them, and you've mentioned some of them already. What is it about card-linked offers that makes them so attractive to these mobile wallet and publishing platforms? Like, why is it that everybody's got to have it now? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to my prior comment where it's all about providing value within that mobile wallet experience. And so how are you going to make sure that a consumer wants to engage with your mobile wallet product? Well, you can add card-linked offers and give consumers offers that make it cheaper and more attractive to use your mobile wallet. So I think we're getting to the point where you need to have that ability to be able to pull in offers to just be competitive now. 
Now, one of the things from a consumer perspective that they've come to expect, in fact, we've all come to expect, is a higher level of personalization. I think that's going to be an enduring change that happened during the pandemic. It's not one size fits all like we were accustomed to in face-to-face commerce. Now, you know, the consumer expects things to be personalized to their mobile wallet, to their app, because, of course, that app or mobile wallet has a lot more data about them, and, and therefore you can personalize how is Rakuten working to provide that level of personalization for card-linked offers where it surprises and delights me as a consumer that like, you actually know who I am and therefore can present the right offer to me at the right time? So I think there's a couple of ways to kind of approach that. You're right. It's all about how can I personalize that consumer experience? And I think there's lots of ways that you can do that. Really, our product is merchant offers, but the delivery mechanism is in content APIs. And so we're inherently flexible. We are built to be able to provide content that then these publishers can pull into their experiences and customize in ways that are relevant for their audience. So they're able to use these offer as ingredients to create customized consumer experiences that are relevant based on the the front end data that they have. You know, moving forward, we are exploring ways of doing some targeting and we are starting to dabble in how we can layer in more targeting and how do we use the aggregate universe of our data with our backend service and how do we do that in a way that's compliant and yet drives value for the consumer? So more to come on that. Yeah, that seems like a really important area as platforms like Apple and Google pull back from the traditional third-party cookie model and allowing third parties to target on browsing habits. Being able to target and personalize on financial data will be really, really important going forward. Really exciting. This didn't come up in Silvio's conversation with Aaron, but the world's first and still reigning super app is actually WeChat, a platform serving 1.2 billion people, mainly in Mandarin. WeChat is the ultimate Swiss Army knife of apps with payments, social media, messaging, and much more. Weirdly, WeChat really took off when it released a walkie-talkie-like voice messaging system in 2011. And from there, it blasted to the moon. WeChat is owned by Tencent, one of the main tech companies in mainland China. We've got nothing in the US or Europe to rival WeChat for its ubiquity and multifunctionality. It can be nearly assumed that a Mandarin speaker with a smartphone has and uses WeChat regularly. A quick chat with some teenagers about Facebook suggests that Facebook isn't going to be the West's first super app, but the name change from Facebook to Meta wasn't for nothing. Perhaps the first super app in the West will be in the metaverse. Well, I said at the outset that I wanted to talk about the future of super apps, or at least one dimension of their future. Governments have lately decided, with a good deal of popular support in many countries around the world, that they're going to give big tech some resistance, precisely because big tech is big. The Europeans were first into that fight some years ago. Just this week, Apple announced that it will allow dating apps on its platform to use payment methods other than Apple Pay. Well, at least in the Netherlands, where the market regulator forced the concession on competition law grounds. There's a joke in here somewhere about the Dutch pioneering the intersection of dating and commerce. I'll just move on. Years after European authorities started putting pressure on big tech for being big, the US and China joined the scrum. China's crackdown has been pretty well known. Jack Ma disappeared for three months on the eve of what would have been the world's biggest IPO. He reappeared a little humbler. 
DC operates a bit differently than Beijing. One of the scraps this summer inside the Beltway is over an antitrust bill that would significantly constrain the big tech players. It's an issue in antitrust or competition law that could take up several episodes of Commerce Code in itself, but in short, well, consumers love the convenience and the offerings of super apps with mobile wallets and linked offers, for example, but it's not clear that those same people in their roles as voting citizens always want any particular super app or big tech organization to get all that big and powerful. Scale, of course, is what makes some of the offers and capabilities possible. Amazon released a blog post recently in opposition to the antitrust bill, and it points out that the infrastructure necessary to make Amazon Prime possible only happens because of its considerable scale. A final note on super apps and their future, and I think a bit of an unexpected one. One of the tough things for big tech right now is it seems they don't have any friends in D.C., Liberals and conservatives alike have found reasons to oppose the biggest tech companies. But one of the voices emerging in defense of big tech is, well, defense and national security analysts, some of whom believe the future of war and national security lies largely in the cyber realm and that America's strength in part rests on the dominance and continued R&D of firms like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and even Meta, balancing and competing with bulge bracket peers in China like Tencent and Alibaba. They have come out somewhat vocally in defense of big tech precisely because it's big. It's a very complicated world in 2022. To find out more about the latest trends in digital commerce and digital advertising, check out our website, www.digcomall.org. For the Digital Commerce Alliance, take care of yourself and take care of each other. God bless. This is Dan Carell, signing off. 